millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, I'm, uh, I am recording. You still operate everything on GarageBand, actually. Is that kind of what you record into when you're doing your music? Yeah, a lot of this record was done in GarageBand. I, I actually just upgraded to Logic Pro, which I don't know if you've ever used it. It's basically GarageBand 2.0. Like Some more, more tracks. Yeah, uh, and a little bit more complex. But I, I just made the, the transition last week to the Logic Pro upgrade. How are you finding it? It's great because it's the same thing. Uh, <laughs> it's just a little bit better, I think, in terms of the built-in sounds and what you can do. But I love GarageBand. It's been with me since, uh, I don't know, since the, I guess I started making music. And I finally really, truly embraced it with this past record. And I was like, I don't care. I mean, if it sounds good, it sounds good. I, if I like it, I like it. GarageBand or whatever it is. Yeah, because you programmed quite a lot of the drums on it, right? I did, yeah. Yeah, there's some built-in GarageBand drummers on stuff. What's his name? I think it's Maurice is my favorite drummer, the built-in drummer to GarageBand. Yeah, there's like six or eight of them or something. Yeah, it's awesome. Can I get different styles? <laughs> I guess yeah. that's a quite an easy way to keep something cohesive. It's true. Yeah. Um, I really found that I was using a lot of the same drum stuff like throughout the record. It does. It creates, a, it, it creates like a common thread. Can you hear a difference when you get a live drummer? in definitely because a few of the tracks have got a live drummer right yeah there's a couple that are sort of mixed in between live and and drum fake drums it's definitely different live which i guess it should be um i kind of like i used to be a very live band in the studio to make a record kind of person but now i feel like those two things don't need to be one and the same was there a specific reason for the tracks that you chose to have a live drummer on mostly just kind of fell together i was working in a studio in Italy, actually, for, for a couple of months. And there was a day where the engineer was like, well, we couldn't really talk to each other because I'm not fluent in Italian, but we were trying to communicate. And he was basically told me, there's a drummer working in the, in the studio down the hall. You guys should meet because he's really great. 
maybe he could play on some stuff. And that's kind of how it happened. And then a couple of days later, he came in and he just played on a bunch of stuff. And some of, it we, some of it we used, some of it we didn't use. But the song Hide Myself Behind You was the, one of the biggest aha moments of the whole record when, in terms of live drummer, because we, he did a bunch of songs. And then I saved that one for last because I just had a demo of it. And I, I played in the demo one time through and I said, okay, now go, go sit down behind the drums and like, let's record a take of the first thing that comes to mind. And, and he did a pass of the song, kind of a, it was a very like Ringo Beatles kind of approach to it. I was like, okay, cool. Now forget about all of that and, and approach the song like it's a hip hop song. So then he like changed some sounds and some, you know, he changed the snare drum and he he played it in a completely different way. I was like, okay, cool. Let's do one more where you play it like a free jazz, like John Coltrane did the same thing. He like changed some stuff around and then he did a take of that. And we ended up sort of piecing all three of those together to create the song. And that was like the biggest drum moment, I think, on the record in terms of live drums and how it kind of made this, brought the song to life. He's almost like a garage band drummer. You can say, go into this mode yeah. and he's into it. <laughs> exactly. I, yeah, that's exactly how I treated him. I was like, let me change your settings really quick. And uh, yeah. <laughs> can you ever do that? Like when you're approaching, you're playing. Can you think I want to write a riff for this as if I was writing for, uh, you know, a certain type of song? I do that sometimes when I'm stuck. Uh, I'll try to almost as an exercise, but like, I'm going to try to write a song by whatever said artist. Or sometimes I'll do like a combination of two that don't make sense. I'll be like, try to write a combination of this person and this person just to kind of get my brain working. And a lot of the times those turn into real songs that don't sound like the original idea, but I uh, like subtly like to kind of get my brain working by doing that. Do they become more do they become closer to your personality with time is that how they kind of change they do yeah because i guess everybody when everybody listens to something i guess you kind of take something different from it so like my idea of a certain artist might be different than yours so i guess when i go into that whatever i like subconsciously really take from the artist or whatever i'm influenced from them i like it'll come out but maybe not in the most obvious way uh because there's so much to it there's like there's from the, the sounds of the instruments to the way that people work with melodies to there's just so many things you can pull. And it's interesting to see like what, what of that comes alive when you're like trying to, you know, write from another person's perspective, I guess. When you were working in, uh, in that Italian studio, was that quite a different environment to American ones in terms of the atmosphere and stuff? Or is it quite similar? Honestly, I have not worked a ton in actual professional studios. So in that way, it was different than what I normally do because my former bandmate was was an engineer and producer that like did all the former records and we did a lot of them at home. So just being in like a pretty incredible state-of-the-art studio was pretty different for me. But I think that there's definitely commonalities with like the, you know, just there's a lot of the same instruments around and a lot of the same setup that, you know, you see in studios all over. Uh, the, the biggest thing was the language barrier, which was interesting. You know, thankfully I had Kiata there to like, she, you know, she was kind of the translator between us, but there was days where I was just there by myself and we had kind of had to talk through. It was, it was just interesting because you, you can't easily communicate an idea. So like sometimes I would be saying something and they'd have no idea what I was talking about. And then same thing in reverse. So it was interesting. I mean, to have to communicate without words was kind of cool. That kind of parallels like the narrative of the record a little bit. Like a lot of this album, your perspective, you're a little bit distanced from people. 
It was kind of like a barrier. Yeah. There. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Was that a conscious choice? Yeah. I mean, it, uh, you know, a lot of the songs were conceived during a pretty self-isolated period. Um, I got sent back from Italy because of some visa issues. So I was just in my house by myself in Nashville. Didn't really want to see anyone. And I just spent all day every day in this sort of head. I was living in my own world. And that, you know, that's where, that's where I guess the freedom to just explore and experiment with whatever I was feeling at the time came in. But also, I guess, in a lot of the lyrical content, just kind of, you know, there's nothing really to hide behind. So I kind of had to look at the workings of my own mind, face myself a lot in this record. So, yeah, I guess it was a result of the circumstances and some of it is a conscious choice, I guess. But when was the last time you'd had to face yourself in that way over such a sustained period prior to the sessions that spawned this album? It had been quite a bit because, you know, the, the touring lifestyle, especially pretty much nonstop for about three, four years, you know, it, it's kind of a distraction from everything. Because, you know, you wake up every day, you're around people constantly, you have a, a daily task and, and it's just go, 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 go. And you don't have a lot of, there's not a lot of stillness to like sit with yourself. There was not a lot of that over the last few years. But when I was home for, you know, a month or two at a time, I got really into you know, certain meditation practices. And I actually went on a retreat a couple of years ago. That was probably the last time that it was really had an introspective, like inward looking quiet time of stillness. And that was probably early 2018. And then it was just constant tour since then. Did the change feel drastic when you did it again? And when, when would this record have been? Like summer of 2019? Yeah, summer of 2019. So it would have been like um, a year and a half on. Yes, basically. Yeah. Yeah, did you see quite a big change in yourself when you did it again? I guess I did because I, I I was pretty good at dealing with the stillness, which sometimes when you're going so much, that constant shift, like when you're on the road and then you come home, it's hard to sit still. You feel like there's like a void that's missing. And so it's like hard to relax and like settle into it because you're just like waiting for the next time to leave. But with this, I felt I felt kind of at peace with it. Uh, cause I was so burnt out on touring that I was really accepting of, of the time. And I was actually, I really enjoyed it. A lot of my life, I was sort of afraid to be alone or by myself. And over the last few years, I've learned to really love that time and value it. And that's probably the biggest difference. I just work really well. Like I, I can only really write stuff when I know no one is around. And so having the house to myself for that much time was really great for that reasons too. So do you need to have the songs very kind of pinned down then when you go into the studio? If you can only really be truly openly creative when you're on your own? Uh, yeah, kind of. I feel like that's when... I feel like it's the most unfiltered way for me because then you're not thinking about anyone else. You're just making what you want to make, saying what you want to say. And you can, especially like vocally, and, and you're not, you don't feel like self-conscious at all. And so for the writing process, yeah, I need to kind of be pretty solitary for that. And then once it's demoed to a point where it sounds like a song, then I feel kind of comfortable sculpting that in the studio if I have to. It's interesting as well that, you know, you were coming off a period of tour, you're saying there, and you felt a little burned out. Because I remember it was kind of the same thing with Toy Soldiers when you formed this the kind of solo thing. You were in a similar burned out position when this project was created. Is there some kind of link there between burned out and you know, creative reinvention? Um, I think so. I think they're, they're directly connected. I, I'm, I'm like 
I'm like one of those people where I, I like to build something up and then destroy it and, and kind of start from scratch. And I do see a lot of cycles of that throughout my life. And the, the burnout, I think the reason that I get burnout is because you know I'm constantly evolving internally and my tastes are always changing. So especially with tour and stuff, when you have to kind of stay consistent with like playing certain songs or certain mindsets or putting on a show, it, it, it kind of, especially if like inner, your, your innards are sort of changed a bit and you kind of have to revert back to a previous version of yourself to kind of like play the songs every night, that stuff starts to like destroy me inside. Like I can't, because it doesn't feel genuine. So I think, that, I think that's how they're connected is like, when I know that I'm out there and I'm like playing the same songs, you know, from a record, songs I wrote two or three years ago, it's the it's the lack of like genuine um, conviction from like playing them. I think that like grates on my soul, and that's why <laughs> I get burnt out, and then I break down, and then I rebuild something from scratch that feels genuine and current, and then I f- I feel energized again. And I probably I have a feeling I'm gonna probably do that forever because it's like the only thing that kind of keeps me going, I guess. Can you see that without music in your life also? The idea of destroying, creating, destroying, creating, that cycle. I guess so. Uh, I guess it's a, just a common, it's a common theme. I guess it's something that I've tried, I've, I've embraced more, I guess. You know, sometimes when, when you live in a place for a long time, people get an idea about you and you have your group of friends and you have like your routines and whatnot. And you're like, even if you like have a tendency to want to change or you feel like you're changing, you almost feel like you can't because everyone's on to you. And so that's like when you move or something and you go like start fresh and you're like, okay, I can kind of be who I want to be now without any like preconceived notion because I'm in a new place. And I feel like even like when I moved to Nashville and now I'm back in Philly again, where I'm from, I guess they kind of sync up too. It's like I, I moved to Nashville bef- uh, right before I put out my first record, and then I moved back to Philly right as I put out my third one. So maybe that's connected too in, in just life. Chasing, always chasing myself. It's interesting what you're saying there about you can't quite escape people's preconceptions of you, even if you're changing quite radically. Is music one of the few domains in life that we can do that? Like if you completely reshape your sound in an album, people are much more willing to accept that and take that on as a different thing than they maybe would be for you as a person in real life. Yeah, um, p- partially. I think there's still a lot of it with music. You know, because even with this record, there's a lot of people that have been pretty vocal about like, what are you going to make heavy meta too? Or like, get back to the old shit. Or, you know, that just don't resonate with this change or don't understand this change or don't maybe just don't like this music as compared to the previous one. Uh, the other thing about it that's weird and more of a technical thing is it's really hard to change on the internet because of like algorithms and, you know, basically everything being run by computers because the internet sort of generates like a, a profile for you and associates you with certain kinds of music and everything kind of gets boxed up very neatly online. So if you make a record that's like drastically different from what you've done before, it's going to get service to the same people. And that's just like, you're at the mercy of the robots, I guess. Uh, and it makes it difficult to change, especially with this record, because a lot of people that maybe like the first two are not, maybe not going to be into this record. There will be some people that like both. If the robots of the internet are sort of pushing it to the already their fan base, already people that it associated with, 
it's not going to necessarily reach like the right people. You know what I mean? So I like to think that music is more accepting of evolution, but it's not always that easy, I guess. It's accepted in the creative space, but not in the kind of industry one, for lack of a better term. Yes, because the industry loves little boxes. People don't like to think or have to process. They're just like, I need it neatly packaged up. You know, what's the story? How's it look? Okay, done. I don't have to think. So if you challenge that, I think it's difficult for people, but that's fine. Have you found that in quite a real way? Like, have you kind of come up against people that you've seen that like as an actual manifestation of that? Like when we're talking about it there as algorithms, we think about it as this kind of abstract thing. But have you met people that are actually like manifestations of that kind of ideology and had conversations with them? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, well, I guess the other side of this whole thing is that it's music and it's like people people don't have to like it. So if, if people liked your first record, your second record, you know, the garage, they like the more punk stuff. And then you make something like this and they're like, you know what? It's just not, it's just not what I'm into. That's uh, and and that's very true for, for a lot of people, I think. And that's more of just a genuine thing about music and art in general. It's like, no one has to like it. Yeah. Within the industry, at least my feeling is that people like to, to be a part of things that are kind of already in motion. People don't, People in the industry don't really like to think for themselves. Like they kind of like to be told what to like, as opposed to, you know, genuinely listen to something and decide for themselves. And and that's why I think, especially in like the music press and and with, with labels, I mean the whole, the industry at large, it's like you tend to see like all of the efforts being put behind like a handful of, you know, or like a small portion of the, all of the artists that exists. And the only way I can think that is like. I think a lot of people just don't like what they actually like. They, they, they're like, oh, well, you know, so-and-so is writing about them, so I guess I should care. Uh, I feel like a lot of that happens. And I don't know how much I, you know, I don't know how much of that I run into directly, but that's, that's just kind of the feeling that I get, and I'm pretty sure it's true. You can see it in kind of every social group, though. Like you're saying it there in terms of maybe someone who's quite into their music and they're reading about it on Pitchfork and they oh, I should like this because it's been written about here. But For it's sure. the same with normal, or not normal, but oh, I'm trying to think of a way to not be condescending now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was getting maybe slightly more, your kind of TikTok audience, if they see an influencer listening to a piece of yes. music, it's the same kind of thing. They're going to listen to it because exactly. of that and maybe like it even though they perhaps don't. They're just trying to fit into this trend. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's like it's already been validated so people feel safe liking it or they feel like they'll force themselves to. And that's just what's weird to me. Like a lot of stuff that sort of blows up or gets a lot of recognition right now, I just I don't see it because there's a lot of very mediocre shit that gets a that just explodes. That it sounds almost like carbon copies of other stuff or lyrically is not really saying much. And I love so so much modern music. I'm not being like one of those people like everything modern, but there's there is some questionable stuff that's like, why is every human being in the world talking about this, like writing about this? Do they actually even like it? Because like what are they latching onto? And that's where I feel like that becomes true. It's like something gets validated by cool or uh you know, they read somewhere like, oh, I guess I need to, I don't actually like it, but I guess I need to start. I don't know. Yeah. There's almost an element of the, the kind of tastemakers playing catch up as well. Like, I'm trying mm-hmm. to think of an example. Like the last Dua Lipa record, for mm-hmm. example, I understand why that's big. I understand why that was such a big album because it's so easy to listen to and it makes you want to dance. But it's interesting to me that that's kind of critically praised in the same domain, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I absolutely. Um, 
And that's where commercial success influences what people critically and and press-wise write about. And I think that's kind of weird too, because it's like, so you probably wouldn't put effort to write about this music or this artist if they didn't have commercial success. But because they do, you feel like you have to because you need hits on your page. And that's where things get kind of lame as well, like much like you just said. But yeah, but yeah, I mean, that record, you know, there's a lot of really great appealing stuff about her and that and, and, and that music. So I, I do get it, but... It's the classic pop star thing, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But yeah, it's it's just like certain stuff is you just wonder. You just wonder if people will be giving it attention to the same thing if it wasn't already validated. And a lot of it probably not. It kind of we're kind of crossing similar thematic territory to your your Amazon performance. We're kind of skirting <laughs> around the edges of a similar thing there. Yes. It's interesting because we've been speaking a lot about how it wants to put you in little boxes, but that was an example of you kind of rallying up against it in the same way that you're doing with your music. And being successful because you got paid after mm-hmm. that right as a result of that yes yeah all the artists on the bill did yeah was that that must have been quite satisfying to kind of stake your claim in that way and then have it change as a result of it in a very immediate fashion it was awesome <laughs> uh, i i i kind of live for that just the concept of like going on amazon and using their platform to kind of call them out I love that kind of stuff. It's things I've kind of always done in subtle ways throughout my whole life, basically, just stirring shit up. But it just gives me a lot of weird joy and like I you know, it makes me laugh. It entertains me to like do stuff like that. And uh the fact that it actually made a difference, which is not I ex- I expected the exact opposite. I thought my label was gonna murder me and that <laughs> you know, I did not expect that at all, which is I guess one more reminder that we should all be straight up and speak out um, about you know any kind of unfairness or things that don't seem, yeah, I guess just fair in the world, um, no matter what you do. Because you did it in an entertaining way as well, that's kind of why it worked. If you had just gone on there and ranted, it probably yeah, wouldn't have had quite the same impact. It's a thin line. You, know, you don't want to be like soapbox, like angry preacher person. That just comes off as really acidic. And you know, I probably have entered that territory at some point in my musical career and you know, at shows and stuff too. But I think like lining it with humor and being lighthearted about it is, is, and that's the same way I approach music too, with like dealing with heavier topics is it just makes things more digestible. If you can sort of like laugh about it a little bit, you don't want to come off like too, like nobody, (laughs) I don't know. doesn't work. You made a, you made an interesting point on that live stream where I think you, I'm probably paraphrasing, but you basically said, that if you turn that down because you're not getting paid for it, they'll just find someone who is willing to devalue themselves enough that they'll accept the opportunity. Yeah. Where Where is that mindset coming from? Because it's something you touch upon on the blog as well, because you wrote about the, you kind of did that parody piece on things you overheard in NYC. Yeah. Um, th- this year has been really eye-opening uh, in terms of, you know, a lot of my perspective on on things. And, and one of the, the biggest part of it is sort of the ground being ripped out from artists in general, like with without being able to tour and play shows and make a living and, and do all of that. You know, there's a lot of time to sit and think. And also a lot of like the realities are being exposed, not even just in music. I'm just like socially, politically, culturally, everything, um, you know, especially in this country. With the pandemic, I mean, a lot of it's been realizing that 
artists really are not on solid ground. And when you take a step back and you're not constantly on the road grinding, you're like, wait a second, why are things, why are things arranged this way? Like, why are artists the least valued people in sort of the system where they're like at the bottom almost? The most essential, and they're at the very bottom, and then it's like the labels make money from them, the managers, the booking agents, the Spotify, Apple Music. It's like they are all profiting off of art and artists, but artists are basically at the very bottom. I'm like, well, this has never been more clear. You know, sort of going up and down like the roller coaster of that, you know, of that kind of realization. It kind of got me to start to think about like my own sense of worth. I'm like, I have a lot of time now. Like, why am I sitting around and waiting? Like, why don't I? kind of take control of like what I'm doing and 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 it's more about direct to fan you know it, there's always like this feeling like you know you got to find a label you got to find these people to work with you and then do this thing in order to be something and get somewhere and make things happen it's like that's not really true because people are live streaming now people are doing patreon and like finding ways to to connect to the only important thing in the industry which is the art and the music and the fans and the audience all this other stuff just like gets in the middle of it and just takes a piece. And that's another thing that's never been more clear. Yeah, I think I've just tried to start to learn how to value myself a little bit more from this time because we're on our own. I mean, nobody in the industry knows how to help the artist or do anything right now. So we're just, it's, it comes down to us and our creativity. And it's always been that way. It's just now we see it. That's where, like, I, you know, I just started thinking about this whole concept of value and like how I value myself, how I think artists value themselves. And we're kind of wired to not value ourselves. Like there's this very, oh, I'm so lucky to be here and a part of this opportunity. And thank you so much to Spotify for adding me to this playlist, even though you don't pay anyone shit for anything and you make trillions of dollars. You know, it's like all this like humble bullshit. And in reality, we need to take that. We need to reclaim that because none of this shit exists without the music. So... All of this stuff just going around my head and then going in the Amazon thing. I was like, no trillion dollar corporation that can't afford to pay artists who are all struggling during a pandemic. What is that about? And so it makes you like, it kind of lights an inner fire and you're like, fuck this shit. I'm not going to get walked on. I value myself. That's what it's about. It's about valuing yourself, not doing shit for free, not compromising just because, you know, you need exposure and like, that's what they're going to pay you in. That's, that's bullshit. It's all bullshit. And I think we need to just value ourselves in that way. And I think everyone does. You know, it's like with Amazon, there's all these delivery drivers like killing themselves driving around, making the whole corporation function, and they're being paid minimum wage. It's like, it's insane. How does this change though? Well, the only way that I can think that it changes if I think number one is people valuing themselves. You have to have like that inner realization first. You're like, wait a second, I actually am worth it. And I should be treated more fairly and compensated properly for the work that I do. So that's number one. And then I think it's just beginning to apply that to any situation that you're in. You know, like like I like for example, I mean, I haven't had a lot of external things that I've really done, but like with the Amazon thing, that was like the only opportunity I've had to be like, okay, this is bullshit. I'm gonna address it. And I just think if people start to do that, you know, in their jobs, in whatever situations, it starts to shift things. But it starts with valuing yourself. And I think that's the hardest thing to do because especially in America, that is the last thing that the whole system at large wants you to do. And so you have to really combat all of it to be like, no, I am, I am good. I am worthwhile. I am worth, you know, it's, you have to like convince yourself, relearn that. And that's, that's it. Is this partly what led into your enough and the kind of writing of that? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely tied to it. I, I wrote that song for, 
for Kiata originally, because, you know, when you're starting a relationship with someone, you start to kind of see how their previous relationships may have damaged them or made them insecure in the new ones. And that was kind of a song that I wrote for her as like my way of reassurance. But it goes much wider than that, I think, um, to like everything we're talking about. So did you play that to her? I did, yeah. When I when I wrote it and recorded, I sent her I sent her a demo of it because we were we were separate at the time. And I was like, by the way, let me you can just listen to this when you're feeling really down about yourself, maybe. It's like an attempt, I guess, to reassure, lift up. That distance almost makes it more impactful. Or it does, I think, probably. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's only so much sometimes that you can really say. The being separate and the space to think and, you know, think about what's important. And then, you know, being like, here, let me just send you a song. And it's like, oh, cool. Okay. So like, it's sometimes it's easier than like being told something. Yeah. With what we were just speaking about there in terms of self-worth and stuff, did you notice that in yourself first? And then once you see that kind of problem within yourself, do you suddenly see it manifesting itself in everyone or a lot of people? Yes. I think it's everywhere. Um, it kind of comes through on Hyde as well. Um, yeah. It's yeah, in more of a relationship does, yeah. sense in that case, though. Definitely. I mean, that's, um, you know, that one's definitely like a, it's more tongue in cheek, you know, just kind of written from the perspective of like what people are really doing or saying in relationships in the modern age, you know, like falling in love with ideas of people and, you know, rather than like who they really are. So when things get real, things fall apart because people, you know, are kind of attached to more of their image of them and stuff like that. And just kind of like getting into that character headspace and then writing hide from the perspective. But also, yeah, like, you know, there's like in the bridge of that song, it's kind of like cutting yourself up and like, yeah, I'm like all sorts of fucked up and I'm, I'm kind of a disaster and so are you and so is everyone. Nothing's perfect. Like take it or leave it kind of thing. And that's kind of, that's a huge part of it too. It's not necessarily about like becoming great or perfect. It's more about just being okay with like the fucked up parts because everybody's got them. So that's how it starts, I guess, the value. You kind of see the fantasy start to dissipate. Yeah. Yeah, and it's freeing. It's freeing to just be like, this is who I am. Like, not even just for other people, but for yourself. Because there's definitely, at least with me in my life, I mean, there's been like a push to become something. You have to become more, like do better perfectionism. I don't know where it came from. I mean, it's probably societal, maybe some family stuff. I don't know. But as the years have gone on, you get to a point, you're like, you know what? This is just how I am. And it's fine. And I have to accept it. And it just makes you like lighter, I guess. Does your music become more authentic when you let go of the idea of perfectionism? I think so. Yeah, it, 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 I think it does when you realize that it can't be, it can't be perfect. Just like, this is me. What was the first record you saw that on? I guess I've always had that approach with, with music. I've kind of always approached making music and records with like a, a reckless abandon of not overthinking too much and just being like, fuck it, this is what it is. I'm drawn to it in the first place is how freeing that is. Because sometimes it's harder in real life to do that. It's harder to just say exactly what you mean to someone's face in the second. You know, it takes a little bit more like build up to get to that courage to like do it. But with music, I've always found it really easy to like say exactly what I'm trying to say, be really honest and not obsess over it needs to be perfect. Yeah, I guess it's never been a part of it. Is that a result of the kind of stream of consciousness style of writing? The way you kind of just let it flow from thought to thought and it kind of gathers momentum in that way? Yeah, I guess it is. I guess especially, especially with this record is really stream of conscious and, you know, in and out of different 
um, head spaces and mindsets. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that's why this record feels like the most like myself. Because yeah, I think that's really what it's a the whole experience of being alive is it's very like up and down and ins and outs of different things and weaving in and out as opposed to just track by track by track. Do you have anywhere else in your life you can let your mind run like that? In that stream of consciousness way? Um, definitely with writing, you know, pen to paper writing, I think. And, you know, that's kind of why I started really nice is just sort of an outlet for me to just like unfiltered you know, wake up in the morning and be like, what are you thinking about? Okay, write about it. Or what are you envisioning? Okay, make it into a shirt. That's been like a really helpful outlet in that way of just throwing things at the wall and like not thinking about it too much. Do you find it changes your understanding of the topics you're addressing in a different way too? Like cause sometimes there'll be topics that come up in your songs and they come up on the blog too. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's pretty consistent. I mean, I'm always, for better or for worse, I mean, you know, the existential things about life and just thinking about like human experiences. It's just stuff that I can't get past. Like I'm just, I've always had a kind of an obsession with it and, you know, always just trying to like get to the core of like what's really going on, things that are common amongst just all people and things like that. I'm like obsessed with those, trying to like get into those things. And that's probably why it keeps coming up in various forms is, you know, just trying to focus on what I think is, is a common thread for all people, I guess. Yeah, what unifies us. Yeah, yeah. You've got a t-shirt like that, don't you? What's, is it I am everything and I am, I can't remember. I am everything, I'm nothing. Yes, yes. I made that one a few years ago um, before a tour and for the Stardust birthday party record. And yeah, I, I love that shirt because I feel like it's, it's, a nice, it's a nice reminder. You know, if you're out in the world and you're just like, I'm nothing. So are you. How's it going? You know, it's like it just cuts through the bullshit. And I, I like a shirt to do that because sometimes it's hard to do that with uh, conversation, I guess. Have you found it actually starts conversations? Will people make a comment upon it? Uh, yeah, definitely. People, you know, people like they'll be squinting like, what does this shirt say? And then they'll read it and they're like, oh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, good, it's a good conversation starter. I, I like... And there's a couple other ones that have, kind of have the same, same idea behind them. They're, that's what they are. It's like, especially in the US, people put on so many roles, you know, even like just small interactions, like you're going to a store and like the, the exchange between you and the cashier, it's very, it's very surface level. It's like, it's like robotic. It's like, hey, how are you? Oh, I'm good. How are you? Oh, I'm good. Thanks. I don't know. Making shirts like that or, you know, encourages more like, having a real conversation and passing with a stranger that you spend like a minute with. And like that stuff makes me so happy when it happens. Like going back to the example, like you're at the grocery store and the cashier who's just been in a very robotic state all day. If there's a thing that happens where you guys end up talking about something or laughing about something that's more real, I love that shit. So anything that can encourage it, I'm, I'm all about. Yeah. You kind of touch upon that a little bit and. um, I think is it the last verse on all the punks are domesticated. There's a line. It's about like all the masks. They won't wear masks, but they wear twenty every day or something. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, I guess I was referring to certain leaders. Yeah, these ideas. You know, there's just there's a lot of fake, not genuine bullshit out there, and we got to cut through it. It's like Biden with his green screen. You see that today? <laughs> <laughs> no, I did it. He put up like a fake backdrop. No, there was like a weird kind of camera glitch thing that made it look like he was on a green screen and wasn't real. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, nothing's real. <laughs> <laughs> 
with uh, with that stream of consciousness thing, actually, that we were speaking about in terms of your writing a few moments ago, you ha- you do this thing. You don't have a few of the songs where you'll have the whole song, and then towards the end, sometimes the last line, you'll have a line that kind of puts everything that's come before it in a completely different context, like. Ooh. On Easter Island, the last line is, no matter wherever I go, I take myself with me, which kind of changes what we've perceived that's come before it. Is that something that just naturally comes out of the stream of consciousness, or is that a conscious decision to kind of pull the rug out from underneath us as a listener? Oh, man. I, I, first off, I really like that. It's always interesting to hear like how people perceive it, and that's, that's really interesting because I never noticed it. So I guess it's something that just happens naturally when I'm writing. Like That's a way to tie it up for me. But especially with that song, because a lot of it is like, I'm in my head, I'm thinking about like where I'd rather be or who I'd rather be or everything else that's not where I'm currently at. And you start fantasizing like, oh, I want to be there and doing this and anywhere but where I am. And then, yeah, kind of closing it out with the the, re- the reality hits you in the face. You're like, yeah, but like no matter where you go, you're still going to feel the same way because you got to take yourself there, you know, which is kind of a cliche in a way. But yeah, I guess I like to do that because it, balances out the fantasy aspect of it. Like, yeah, you think you want to go to all these other places, but when you get there, you're probably just going to feel the same way. So it almost encourages it's better to be right where you're at, or it's just as good. Yeah, it's more about changing where you are internally than externally. Definitely, yeah. And you do it as well on um, a similar kind of thing, uh, A Plate of My Honor, uh, where that whole song you talk about how you you're kind of blaming yourself for most of that song but then at the end you say you know nobody wants to ask me out either yeah yeah i don't know how relatable it is for i mean i guess this year it's relatable for a lot more people than it was originally but because we've all been sort of distanced and unable to spend time with people in like a meaningful way or in physical you know physically but you know i was coming from a perspective of being gone all the time and how you know you become like a ghost to people back home and you like your your connections and your relationships like slowly just like fizzle out and then how you can get down about that i guess but on the other end it's like the other you know the other people kind of uh didn't really put in the effort either so i guess ultimately it's just like whatever is real will remain and whatever is not whatever why do you think it might not be relatable to people well i guess before before the pandemic, I guess, it was maybe like, maybe something very niche in terms of people that spent a lot of time on the road and just being gone for months, months, years at a time, you know, which I think is, is probably not common for most people um, outside of you know, touring musicians. So before the pandemic, maybe it was, it was like less relatable, but now I think almost everyone can because we're kind of all experiencing that isolation. Yeah, for sure. I find it as well when... I kind of moved away from, don't know how well you know the geography of Scotland, but Aberdeen, where I'm from, is kind of up in the northeast. Okay. About 100 miles away from Glasgow, and I moved to Glasgow. But whenever I come back to Aberdeen, maybe it's like every six months or whatever, there's a real distance there with the people you used to connect with. Because you haven't seen them in six months. And it's like very difficult to keep that kind of relationship going with friends when Mm -hmm. you only see them twice a year or whatever. Yeah, of course. I mean, because, you know, things change, people change. Yeah. And I guess once time passes and people start to like move in different directions, it's like you miss like 50 steps and then you're like, oh, I feel like I don't even know you anymore. Yeah. Almost, do you ever find that it almost feels pointless trying to connect as well? Like you'll go out for a drink with someone and then you'll be thinking, 
I'm not even sure I like this person anymore. <laughs> like I built yes. up in my head is oh, I'm really looking forward to you know seeing them again, and then you go out with them and you're like, I don't know. There's a weird distance. Yeah. Been, uh, there's a rift. Yeah, and that's um that's like a test a testament to you know we all are kind of growing in our way, and the real people will stick with you because you're you remain aligned. But there are just I just think the reality of it is like certain people fit into your to your realm in like a really true meaningful way and like but most people don't and like when you're younger like when i was in college and stuff i like i feel like i had like a thousand friends and none of them were really close or real but like in my mind it was like you know you're constantly talking to so many people and saying but as you as time goes on you realize that circle gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller i think it's because that reality sets in you know you're just like i don't actually like i think you like you learn about yourself more and you you like yourself more and then you realize there's not a space for all this shit that doesn't work well with that. And that's probably where that comes from. Well, it's a similar thing as to what we were speaking about with relationships earlier on. It's about the fantasy. You more like the experiences yeah. that you have with these people than the people themselves. You like the fact that you go and get fucked up with them once a week or whatever, rather than those right. people maybe. Right. But then you remove the drinking from the picture and you're like, I don't really think I like them anymore. <laughs> or, you know what I mean? Which is like a thing that I've gone through, you know, used to being like a, you know, hanging out in bars and drinking and, you know, going to parties and stuff like that. And then when I just like, I just decided I was like, I stopped drinking uh, like six or seven years ago, maybe even longer. And it cha- it's like much like what you said, it like rapid, super speed put into perspective. I'm like, yeah, don't really like hanging with this person without, without like that context, you know, and it starts to like make more room for meaningful people in your life when it's not centered around like escaping together, I guess. Do you feel more fulfilled once you kind of clear the the debris out of the way? That's a horrible way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's great. I, I like how it's straightforward. Um, yeah, it just frees up more space because you can't, until you close some doors, you can't really open other ones. Like if you just have all this space in your life consumed by stuff that doesn't really matter, you don't have room to like let in the shit that really does or even see what really does. So. Yeah, once you kind of downsize everything, you see what's real and you find like the genuine stuff. And I, when I left Philly the first time and went to Nashville, it was like the most direct version of that because I moved to a new city, left behind like an old version of myself and a lot of other people. And instantly, the people that I met because of kind of where I was at, we clicked in like a more meaningful and deeper way than I had with like anyone that I knew before it. And that's just how things work. It's like a like a law of attraction thing. Yeah, you, know, you attract people that are like on the same, looking for the same stuff as you. How did that work for the cat? Um, can we still be friends though? Because that kind of looks at the idea of finding these people that you think you have this connection with once you move into that new scene, but then kind of realizing maybe it's not there as much as I thought it was. Yeah, it's like a never-ending. Uh, it's a never-ending journey of up and down. But yeah, yeah, that's uh. You know, and that's that song, it's not, I can't say it's directed at like one specific person. It's more like a kind of person that you encounter over the years. Uh, it's more of like a mentality, especially in the music business. You know, people love to be involved when things are going really well. And then if you're like, you know, you want to take a break, uh, you don't hear from people as much. Like everyone's just constantly running to the next, the next fire. Um, it's at every level though that's the thing you don't notice until you're kind of into it for a while you you perceive it as this kind of higher up management thing but it's right mm -hmm. at the bottom as well these people are kind of just looking for whatever's hot to kind of jump on exactly exactly and this fully connects i think to what we were talking about earlier about 
things need to be like previously validated for people to get into them. It's like exactly what we're talking about. It's like when people see something working, they're like, they flock to it. Yeah. It, it's um, when you're somebody that doesn't work like that, which mine doesn't I mean like everybody I work with or played with or toured with, like it's always pretty, it's personal. It's like on a human level. It's for me, it's genuine. I'm like, these are, this is family to me. But then when you find out, like maybe it's not the same for other people, it's like, damn, like did not see that coming. Cause you can't, if you're not somebody that functions that way, you can't really expect it. You don't even know that it exists. And that's where the song comes from is like the realization. Sideswipes you. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. It's funny as well because you kind of think, you think people kind of get corrupted by the music industry and the systems in place, but then you realize, oh no, it's the people that kind of fuel that. It's, they're there from the start. They're corrupted from the get-go. Of course. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. It's all people. When does something, like if you lose a relationship like that, when does it stop feeling like a loss? and start to feel like growth? And when do you start to feel like you've learned something from it and you can apply it to your life in a positive way? Exactly three months and four days after it. No, I'm just, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, for me, it was when I decided I needed to take a break from tour and I wanted to like break down again uh, back in 2019 and, and disband the band and tell everyone I was working with, like, I'm out. I'm out the game for a while. I'll let you all know. It was pretty terrifying, uh, you know, to like enter into a void like that when everything's kind of just flowing and has such like a, you know, a system to it that you're used to. Yeah, it was rough during that time because that's when I, you start to see like true colors and all the stuff. I guess the time when it starts to change is after the, yeah, the, the initial like downer mode that I got in and the crisis that I was kind of in initially being like, what am I doing? Why am I? When I started to make music again, I had a lot of self-doubt because, you know, I'm just like by myself. And like I said, I basically <laughs> entered into the unknown. But, but as time goes on, I mean, it probably took me like a year, I think, to, of, of the breakdown, starting to make music again, starting the website, and it's just like trying to get creative again and figure out who I am. But I think it's whenever you... Whenever you really start to like embrace yourself again, uh, and you kind of figure out that it's it's you, and like you got to prove to yourself that you're you're good enough and you're capable of it without all these people around you. That's when it starts to make sense, and that was kind of what this record was. It was like the therapeutic process of me going from zero to like building back up to a point where I was able like this is a record and now it's out, and I'm like I'm in a completely different place. But I remember back like early on when I first you know, put everything on hold. I was freaked out. You know, I had like a lot of meltdowns. I was like, what am I doing with my life? Now it all makes sense. What's it a year and God, it's almost two years later. Man, time flies. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. I've seen this described as a happy record. Where does that assessment kind of sit with you? Sonically. That's about it. I didn't really change my worldview or like my, the the topics and and like the inward looking but I did change the way that it sounds because I don't think that heavy stuff needs to sound heavy. That was kind of the point. I thought it'd be funny and interesting if people would be like, oh, it's just kind of like feel good, upbeat, melodic, you know, but he's talking about, you know, existential crisis and isolation and death and whatnot. All the big ones. Yeah, all <laughs> the big ones, but purely sonic. You basically, it's still your voice from the other records. You're just placing it in a new context. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Which in my mind is why, in my, at least why I feel like it would work with people that have listened thus far. Because maybe that's what people latch on to. But uh, maybe the Sonics are too jarringly different from people. With, as a result of the Sonics, you kind of, every record has a very distinct kind of aesthetic and, you know, color palette. Mm-hmm. Does that inform the music in any way or is that is the visual side very much something that grows out of the record itself? With this one, I think they were really connected. Each record's been different. Like with the first one, you know, being in, influenced by, you know, like the late 70s, like proto-punk, New York City kind of stuff, you know, going with the black and white with like the bright pink text, you know, felt felt like a good way to tie that all together and, and what it sounded like. And then with Stardust, it was like, even though sonically it was pretty similar, I knew that I wanted to counter it with a lot of color. And then this record, I think they were kind of one and the same. You know, just like the way that I decorated my house and the things that I was wearing were all reflective of like the same colors that ended up on the same re- and the, on the record. And like, to me, the record is really colorful. And so, and kind of thinking about it in terms of colors, this is like the most... Um, I guess, direct connection between those two things. That's funny that you're saying that, you know, you have to wear the kind of clothes and decorate your house in that way. Do you really have to kind of live the record when you're making it and live through it? Well, it's almost the opposite. It's almost like live and then make the record from where I'm at. And that was, that was a big part of this process. It was, it was like, make the space and yourself look the way that you really want to, and then create in it and make it match it, I guess. Did you find Italy matched it when you went there? Did you see it kind of line up in a similar way? Yeah, when I was over there, I mean, I spent a good portion of the time when I was sort of starting to like figure out all this stuff. I was over there and it was cool because I was just in a foreign place and I was alien. And I, it's kind of like what we were talking about before, being in a place where like no one has any preconceived notion of you. That really allows you to just do whatever the hell you want, wear whatever you want, say whatever you want, think, you know, you don't have to like worry about it. Yeah. You can just be yourself. And that was, was so great about being over there that really matched with it all. Are your family from Italy? Like ancestors wise? Yeah. Both sides. Um, Interesting. Our mom from Sicily and my dad's from a place called Salerno. His family's from, not, not them. Like their, their grandparents, I think came over. So did you feel a connection with it in any way as a result of that? Not to get too spiritual, but did you kind of feel something when you went there because of that in any way yes the the first time i went it was incredible um it almost felt like you know like going to mecca because growing up the italian culture and you know everyone in my family was always obsessed with it and like through the food and you know i guess the italian american interpretation of it and then actually going there you realize you feel like you've arrived like to the motherland in a way so much about the, the culture and the way that people are, the way that people talk, um, the, the spirit of it. I mean, when the first time I was there, I was like, what am I doing? Like, what are we doing in America? <laughs> what? We have everything backwards. Everything is wrong. Yeah, it all just kind of made sense there. Would you ever move there? Yeah, I think it's probably, probably going to be the destiny because... You know, that's where Kiata is from, and she moved to the States last year. She's having a tough time here, you know, because of what we just said. You know, she comes from Italy, this beautiful, cultural, amazing place, and then coming here where everything priority-wise is pretty much the opposite, and it's, it's difficult. And she's making it work, and we're like carving out our niche, and, you know, it's fine. But I know that it's never going to be 
the same as there, you know, here for her. I feel like I'm slowly being beaten into that kind of submission too, where I'm like, you know, I'm just done with the whole America thing. Like, f- fuck the whole game. It's just, it's like, it's pain. Let's just go like live and be alive and like be around people that, you know, live with a sense of humanity uh, instead of like just trying to win whatever game this is. I don't know. Is that also partly because if you're so close with her and she's feeling pain as a result of being here, is that kind of radiating onto you? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, we we definitely feel each other and, you know, where she goes, I go usually and vice versa. And yeah, it's been hard. I mean, it's been hard seeing how she's dealt with a lot of things, simple things, you know, from her, just the immigration process, um, dealing with all of that uh, and the way that they like treat immigrants and to the healthcare system and to all these things that are so figured out and easy over there are all so hard here. In addition to just like the mentality and the way that people are about things and how there's so much plastic bullshit everywhere. seeing her struggle with that no, number one makes it more clear how much it exists here and then yeah I, like, I hate to see i hate to see it have an effect on someone where i'm like so desensitized to it i'm like okay with it from a lifetime living here i'm used to it but it's nice for me to have that person showing me like it should and could be better than this whereas i'm like this is just how it is does it make you uncomfortable how normalized it's kind of become within everyone who grows up there uh definitely with music, it's always been like a huge part of it is trying to like rattle and stir people up and like make people want better for themselves, which is like one of the only common themes, I think, and like challenging everything. So I guess I've always been aware of it. Yeah, it's always bothered me. Always. I know you've, you've spoken before about the kind of influence of Eckhart Tolle on yourself huh. and you know how he wrote some things which profoundly affected your life. And mm-hmm. on your blog as well, you speak about Adyashanti? Adyashanti, yes. And how his teachings have influenced you. Who was the last person you discovered that kind of profoundly impacted the way that you look at the world and view it? Yeah, so with, with both of those, like Eckhart Tolle, he, he, had a, he has a book called A New Earth that I had heard about like a bunch of different times and then I eventually picked it up and I read it and like it was one of those things that like it directly spoke to me in a very clear way at the very the very right time. And it had a huge sort of change in my life and the way that I approach things. And and then with Adi Ashanti, it was an, another like sort of spiritual teacher that I had randomly found. You know, I I began like listening to his talks because it kind of goes a little bit deeper than the Eckhart Tolle stuff. And and then I kind of moved on like and really got into his stuff and reading his books. And then I actually did like a meditation retreat with him, which was like one of the most powerful, like incredible things I've ever done. Very uncomfortable and strange, but it's like to get on a plane, fly across the country, drive up a mountain and like do total silence with no phone. Where was that? It was in Northern California. And that was like one of the weirdest things, but one of the most amazing things I've ever done in my life. It just kind of showed me what's possible and like how if you just like remove all the noise, everything's actually okay. You know, and that was, you know, it takes me climbing a mountain and going into total silence with like 200 strangers for a week to see that when in, you know, it should be a lot easier to see how simple everything actually could be. Those people, and in addition to many, many others in, you know, similar realm, uh, have been really helpful for me. And then 
I kind of got to a point with all of it where I was like, okay, now it's just time to resume back to the material world and living and not... Because even with that stuff, I, I, I felt like it was going too far and I was... You start to being like, you're not, you're not doing your practices enough or, oh, you were feeling so good and then now you feel all stressed against so what, you know, you're, you lost something. I'm like, that's not what it's about. This is, I got to get away from all of this because everything in, everything in moderation. And so now I feel like I, you know, I have that there in me, but I'm just kind of like not buried in it or like too deep into it anymore. And that's, it's been a good balance. Yeah. You can't like live in the clouds. It's not realistic. <laughs> I guess so. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.